quite easy to overlook that which is obvious. I've def- I definitely noticed it a, a lot in my life. I did it this morning, put the toast in, put the kettle on, jumped in the van. As I'm about to go and I realise I've left the toast. Obviously, if you put toast in the toaster, you need to get it out. Also, it's a good idea if, and you know, it's pretty obvious that if you're going to go to Lewisham and you're going to go out of your door and you're the last person in the house, that you close the door. That's usually pretty helpful. Um, went to Lewisham, left the door wide open, praised God for his faithfulness and protection. I came back and my house was still there. There was post, even post, the postman would come and, and drop, <laughs> drop, drop some posts in. Uh, but it's, it's, it's easy to, to, to overlook the glaringly obvious. Um, we can do that with, with things, but also in relationships, isn't it? And particularly at this time of the year, we're reminded that actually there are relationships where we have a responsibility in that relationship. So I'm a son, my mum's here today. Everybody say hello to my mum. And I have a responsibility to, to love my mum, to look after her, to take care of her. Um, and I can confess openly, and I'm glad she's here, I can, I can confess before her. So recently my mum's just moved, and I, I have helped my mum out of, over this move, but not as much as I should have done. And it was obvious to me that I should have done it. It's something that got overlooked. And we can do that in relationships, can't we? We can become complacent. Uh, in a, so within a marriage, maybe, you know, you, you're not giving the, t- the time and attention. You know that it's your responsibility to do that, especially as men. We know that we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And yet, it's obvious. And we know it, but it's easily overlooked. And the danger is that we, in our relationship with Christ, or even as we think about Jesus that we can overlook that which is glaringly obvious. And hopefully we're going to see that that's a a potential danger today. I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to read from Jeremiah 23, verses 5 to 6. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love. Lord, I thank you that you are a very present help in a time of trouble. Lord, I thank you that you are for me, that you're not against me. Lord, that you are a loving, gracious and merciful God. Lord, I pray for any here this morning, Lord, who may be distracted with just the cares or the burdens of life, Lord. I pray that you'd help them just for, for, for these next few moments, Lord, to, to lay, lay those things to one side, Lord, and that you would really speak to each of our hearts individually. Thank you for your word, Lord. The Bible says that your word, the entrance of your word, brings light. Lord, we realize that so much of the time we don't see clearly. We need light. And also that it gives understanding to the simple, Lord, but simple people. And so, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, Lord, as your word is proclaimed today, as we read your word, Lord, as we listen to your word, that it would bring light to our lives. And, Lord, that you would give us understanding And, Lord, that it would be food for us. Thank you so much, Lord, for your spirit being here with us. Thank you, Lord, that you desire to speak to each and every person here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in our Christmas series, The the Great Giveaway. Uh, Week two. uh, And this last week it was the giving of a great kingdom. This week we're looking at the giving of a great king. And last week, Pastor Rob very helpfully showed us that God has graciously given us a wonderful gift. And it's not a gift just for Christmas, like just in the same way dogs are not just for Christmas, apparently, uh, and, and pets and what have you, but it's, a, it's an eternal gift. It's, it's a gift that will, will last forever. And it's namely the gift of his kingdom. And we looked at a helpful way to think about God's kingdom last week, didn't we? 
Uh, hopefully uh, you remember when you're thinking about God's kingdom, you're thinking about God's people in God's place, under God's rule and blessing. God's people in God's place, under God's rule and blessing. And we learned that this kingdom is both now and not yet. That it's a kingdom that is already in existence and functioning, and yet it's not complete and perfectly consummated. Hopefully after last week, being reminded of this amazing gift and the fact that you as as a believer have been brought into it, that you're left excited to be part of God's kingdom. Left excited to be part of his people, the church. And the glaringly obvious thing that all of us, whether you're a believer today or not a believer, could potentially overlook is that for this, for there to be, in order for there to be a kingdom, the obvious thing is there must be a king. It's obvious, isn't it? It makes sense. It's not rocket science. But just because something is obvious, as I mentioned already, doesn't mean that we understand it, does it? Or it doesn't actually mean that we apply the truths of that thing. I mean, I'd imagine that the idea of being God's people would be attractive for a lot of us, for a lot of people. Um, most people, don't, we don't want to feel, we don't like to feel left out. We like to feel a part of something. And then as we begin to talk about God's place, that's now becoming a little bit, potentially, for some people, dictatorial in that, okay, God, I'm quite happy to figure myself as God's people. You know, we're all God's children. That's a wonderful thing. But actually, now you're talking about God's place. So he has a particular place that he wants me to be in. Now it's becoming a little bit too controlling for me. Then when we talk about being under his rule and blessing, now the blessing part's cool. We all, like to be, we all want God's blessing, don't we? We want that. But being under his rule, the truth be told, we don't want to be under his rule, do we? We don't want to be under anyone's rule. We don't want a king to rule over us. Or often, if, if we do want a king, then it needs to be a king of our own making, doesn't it? Someone who... who fits into our way of thinking and fits into the way we want to live. It's evident that we don't want a king, as we look at the Bible, isn't it? You go back to Genesis, where it all began. So there was God, existed, has always existed, pre-existent, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, in need of nothing, completely perfect. There they are, and God creates the heavens and the earth. He speaks the heavens and the earth, into being. Such is the power and might and scope of the sovereignty of this God. There's no people yet, until, and so he makes Adam. And he places Adam, now God's people, into, his, into God's place in Eden specifically, in the Garden of Eden. And then he graciously and lovingly, realizing that Adam needs a helper, he takes from Adam's rib, from Adam's side, the only time that a woman has come from a man, and he, he creates Eve. And there are Adam and Eve, God's people. And there they are in God's place. And they are completely aware that God is the one who made them. They exist only because of God. The place that they're in is a place that God has made. And God says to them, doesn't he? Thinking about God's rule. So God, they were God's people in God's place in the garden. And they were under God's rule. God gave them rules, didn't he? One particularly, you can eat anything of any, any other tree in this garden, but that tree over there, don't eat that. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. They were under his rule, and everything was wonderful. Literally perfect. Everything was blessed. Even to the point where they were able to stand there naked and, and completely unaware of it. 
There was no off-key thoughts, no... It was just pure, wonderful bliss. Everything was blessed. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like to be in the garden before the fall? We, you know, we experienced some, you know, go to the beautiful places. I remember going to uh, Jamaica. One time we went and we went to, we were looking at some land and we went into this, it was kind of in the bush really. But um, as we got in there, there was a, this tree that was kind of like six foot wide at the base with these, you know, lots of kind of stems, roots coming down from it. And clearly it had been there for like hundreds of years. And, and a lush green everywhere all around. But even that, that's, that's in its fallen state. What would it have been like to have been in the garden to experience? I love the smell of roses, like old school roses, the tra- traditional roses, pungent smell, lilies. Also, what was there was um, Julie, Julie Mango. Oh, my gosh. If you've, if, you had, if you've not had Julie Mango, then you're missing out. But even the, 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 as beautiful and wonderful as the Julie Mango was, it would have been nothing on what, what the garden would have been like. It was literally paradise. They wanted for nothing. You know about Julie Mango, and it's just, somebody does, yeah. Amen. So then by, but then by chapter 3, as we know, Adam and Eve rebel, don't they? They rebel against God's rule by eating the fruit, going against what God said. And everything changed. From light to dark in that moment, sin now entered the scene. And every single one of us here, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, whether you're a Christian or not, every single one of you lives every day with the consequences of what they did there at that point. The consequences of sin, sickness, disease, death. None of us have escaped what took place there. They rejected God's rule and in turn they rejected his blessing. This is the thing with God, isn't it? With his rule comes blessing. Think about even for my children, when, you know, when everything, okay, these are the rules, guys. And when we, we obey the rules, I, I want to trip over myself to bless you. But there's a point now where actually, no, okay, you're, you're, you're bucking against the rules, and now I have to remove some of those blessings. So maybe, no, you can't watch Peppa Pig tonight. <laughs> to my wife, I might say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they rejected God's rule and in turn his blessing, and so God graciously throws them out of the garden. I say graciously because if they'd have eaten of the fruit of the tree of life, they would have been in that state forever with no chance of going back. So God graciously puts them out of the garden. But, it's, but at the same time, it's a horrific scene. Here now, people who have been created by God and who are his people are no longer his people. They're outside of his place and away from his rule and blessing. They're not in a good place, to say the least. But there's a glimmer of hope. Even in Genesis 3.15, in the same, very same chapter, says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Speaking about the serpent who deceived um, Eve. He shall bruise your head, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise, bruise his heel. So speaking about a victory here from the offspring of the woman that's going to come in, in, in time to come. So there's a real glimmer of hope here. But ever since that day, mankind has wanted to be his own God, wanted to be his own king. And we see that definitely in the time that Jeremiah was living in. He was called by God to be a prophet to God, God's people. I just realized I, I forgot to read the verse, didn't I? Forgive me. We're in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 to 6. Called uh, as a prophet to God's people who had once again rebelled against God and his, and his rule by turning to false gods. You see it over and over again. As you, I encourage you maybe even to 
read Jeremiah, it can be a little bit depressing in one sense, but at the same time, what's exciting about it is actually you begin to see God's character and actually just how merciful God is. When you consider that over, this is over a long period of time this took place, it wasn't just an immediate, they, they sinned and then God just reacted. It was after much, God holding out his hand, look, saying, turn, 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 turn to me. Israel had abandoned God, so we see that in Jeremiah 2, 11 to 13. 11, and 13, 11 to 13, have you got that there? My lovely assistant at the back there, Pastor Rob. So Jeremiah 2, 11 to 13. I've got my Bible in it. We need technology. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's all that you're left with if you forsake God. Whatever you turn to, as you turn away from God, whatever it is, will not satisfy. It's like a broken cistern. Even for a moment, it might bring some satisfaction, but ultimately it will not satisfy you. And they turned away from God. They profaned, also, they, they profaned the temple, violated the covenant that bound Israel to God. So if you go to Jeremiah 7, 1 to 15, please, brother. I'll read it from here, it's easier. So the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord. All you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. So they're coming into the, coming into the temple, coming to, to, to worship God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and, do your, and, and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. God is being gracious. Say, look, fix up, repent, return to me, and I'm, I, I, will, I will let you stay here. Where? Which place? In Jerusalem. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is what, what their false prophets were saying. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We don't even need to worry. This is, God's here. God's in this place. God dwells here. It's all good. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, so we see there was injustice taking place, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the, the, the one who was passing through, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, ultimately, isn't it? Whenever we run away from God, whatever we turn to, our, we, we are the one, ultimately, who suffers and those around us. Then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land I, give, I gave, to, gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal? Now, you know, in Baal worship, they, they were literally sacrificing their children. Baal was a, a fertility god, and they were bringing their children. So they were having sexual orgies as part of the worship. Obviously, children would be born from that, and a lot of those children then would, would be brought and sacrificed, burnt in the fire. Maybe that was on Wednesday, then, then they were in the temple. And go after other gods that you have not known. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered. 
only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. Remember, it's a divided nation. And now because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do do to the house that is called by my name, and in which you trust, and to the place that I give you to your, to your fathers, as I did to Shiloh, and I will cast you out of my sight, as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. Serious, serious sin was taking place. Now Jeremiah was sent by God to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy and overthrow, to build and plant. That is with the, the messages that, he, that God used him to proclaim. So many of them were, were messages of judgment. But there was always an element of hope now, look, if you return, God's desire and God's heart for restoration. And that's his heart for us, isn't it? That should be encouraging even for us. We're living in different times, but we serve the same God. No matter where we're at, he's always willing, even in the midst of our sin and rebellion, he's holding that and saying, look, return to me. I want to bless you. And yet at the same time, let's not, we can't deny the fact that God will bring judgment in our lives. He will discipline us. Bible elsewhere tells us that he disciplines those that he loves. He's a loving father. And his discipline is always in order that we would return and, and be built up. So we don't want a king, but I want to suggest to you that actually we desperately need a king. Much in the same way that a family needs someone to, who takes responsibility to lead, school needs a headmaster, teams need leaders, ships need a skipper, plane needs a pilot, somebody who's going to take ultimate, con- not control, but ultimate responsibility. Otherwise, there's chaos, isn't there? Imagine if there was nobody taking a lead today in coming and opening up, and yesterday people were taking a lead to come and clean the place. There'd be chaos, and we'd all be up in arms. The book of Judges ends with a common theme, which is, goes throughout the, um, in the, throughout the book of Judges. And in the last verse, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. They didn't have a king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar? Today, the, the time that we're living in, it's also the, the, you know that there's a satanic Bible in it. Satanists have a Bible, and the, the mantra of it, the, the overarching theme is do what thou wilt. Do what you want to do. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. <laughs> do what thou wilt. In Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's time, there was a desperate need for a new king. The Israelites were united as a single kingdom through, de- so through the reigns of David and Solomon. They were a united kingdom. David was a wonderful king, not a perfect king, but he was a wonderful king. Very much pointing to Christ. Solomon had his great moments. We also had some terrible moments. But the kingdom was at least one at that point. Then after Solomon's reign, there's, a, there's this big split. Northern kingdom, Israel. And then you've got Judah. God has been warning Judah over and over again that he's going to send Babylon to take them into exile. Terrifying. Forget ISIS. Babylon, a terrifying nation, coming now to God's people. And God is saying, I am going to use this nation to bring judgment on my own people who I've been crying out to year after year after year to turn back to me. This is not the act of a God who, at the drop of a hat, is willing to punishes 
children. This is the act of a patient, merciful God. Look at Jeremiah 22, 1 to 9. Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah, speaking to Jeremiah. Um, speak there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice, note that, do justice and righteousness. This is God's desire for the king. And deliver them from the hand, and, hand of the oppressor, him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, those who were not Israelites but living in the land, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter these gates, the house of gates of this house, kings who sit on the throne of David. Remember, that's the promise, wasn't it? Is that the throne of David would forever have a king sitting on it. And God's saying, look, it's looking here like pff, maybe that, maybe he's gonna, the Lord's going to kind of renege on that promise. Or maybe he's had enough and, and changed his mind, potentially. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. For thus says the Lord concerning the house of the king of Judah, you are like Gilead to me, like the summit of Lebanon, lush, green, fertile, yet surely I will make you a desert, an uninhabited city. I will prepare destroyers against you, Babylon, each with his weapons, and they shall cut down your choicest cedars and cast them into the fire. Jerusalem was burnt to the ground. And many nations will pass by this city, and every man will say to his neighbor, why has the Lord dealt thus with this great city? And they will answer, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord, their God, and worshipped other gods and served them. Remember the covenant made with Abraham. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless you. Don't go after other gods. Can you see that God's people desperately needed a new king? And I want to suggest to you that God has actually answered that. And we can go now to the text that we should have read in the first place. So if we read, you haven't got it there, Robert. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 to 6. It's into this dark and desperate scene that God spoke to his people through his prophet Jeremiah. God promised that he was going to bring his people back from exile into his place again in Jerusalem. And that he was going to give them leaders who will take care of them. He's been saying that just in, before our verses, the first four verses because there have been the leaders who have been false prophets, who have been, been misleading the people. He's saying, look, I'm going to bring you back, because you've been scattered because of their actions. I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to give you good leaders, leaders who are going to obey me. So five, 23, 5 to 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this, is a, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, why David? He mentions David here. Uh, raised up for David. Remember, as I said, if we go back to First, first Samuel, God chose David. God, David was God's chosen king. The people wanted a king that they could see. They had Saul. Saul flopped. He, 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 he disobeyed God. God raised up David for himself. And then God said to David in 2 Samuel that there's going to be a king on your throne forever. A righteous branch. If you think of Judah as a tree that's been cut down, have you got that 
slide there, bro. So at one point, this tree, I'm sure wherever it was, I don't, I don't know where it is. It could be anywhere. At one point, you would have walked past this tree. It would have been a, a large tree, branches coming off of it. And then, you know, and that for whatever reason, maybe there was disease um, or got blown down by the wind, whatever, for whatever reason, then there would have been a point where you just see the stump and there's nothing there. And then one day you walk past and you see that, no, actually, it's not dead. There's, there's, there's life coming out of it. This is the, the, the picture that's being painted here. There's going to be this righteous branch that's going to come out of that, the house of Judah that, that, that has been cut down by, because of God's judgment. And it looks like it's the end, but God is saying it's not the end. And in many ways, lots of us have been like, we've been that stump. I've been that stump in my, in my walk with the Lord before, in the sense that, where I've rebelled against God, or I've, I've kind of gone my own way, and God has had to bring discipline. Thank God it's not been Babylon or anything like that, but he's brought discipline. Maybe removed some things or, 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 or put me, taken me out of the place that I really want to be in and, and basically put me on the bench. And it's difficult, and you can, you can find yourself in a place where you feel like, actually, is, is, is there ever going to be life again here? And the hope is, the hope is in Christ this branch, as we, look, as we think back to this, that there is always hope in him. It's not completely dead. So Isaiah 11, 1 um, says, There shall, speaking of the same thing, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now Jesse being um, David's dad. And a branch from his root shall bear fruit. This is not the end. And this would have been great news, particularly for those who were reading. And potentially they were still in exile, in, in Babylonian exile, and they would, would have been hearing that actually it's not all over. As much as you might think it's over, and it looks like it's over, it's not all over. This shoot, God is not done with his people. He's going to remain faithful to his promise to provide a king. So God himself is going to provide this king, the Messiah, God's chosen one. And I don't know what you think of when you hear that God has provided a king to rule over us. Maybe some of you think that he's kind of like this guy. Not that guy. <laughs> this guy. Um, I don't know. I don't, didn't even need to put his name. Everybody know, knows his name. An egomaniac, um, murdering, horrific, tyrannical leader who murdered, was responsible for murdering millions simply because they didn't look like him. They weren't like him. They were less than him. Maybe you think of Jesus like that as, as God's king. Hopefully you don't, but. I'm sure some do. Or maybe you think of God's king a bit like this guy. Hey. Prince Charles, first in line to the throne of England. Um, if his mum passes away or, or abdicates, I don't think she's going to hand it over. She's going to stick there to the end. Then he would become king. Not really a king at the moment, but even if he does become a king one day, he doesn't really have any real authority, does he? So even if he was king, the monarchy doesn't really have much authority in your life and in our lives. You simply tolerate him because he's part of a traditional establishment that once had power, but you don't have to take him too seriously. Is that how you see God's king? Or maybe you think of God's king like this guy. Yeah. A traffic warden. Oh my gosh. One day I'm going to preach a sermon just for traffic warden. If you knew how much money they get from me every year, Lord, help me. My goodness. So maybe you think of God's king like this. Traffic warden who's living to catch you slipping. 
dreaming about it. Can't wait to catch his slip. He's lurking around every corner. Pray for me. Lurking around every corner, just waiting to execute the law. Is that how you see God's king? Well, God's king is nothing like any of these. He's in a league of his own. There is no king like him. Let's look at the character traits of Messiah again. God's chosen king. Back in our verses 5 to 6. He shall reign as king and deal wisely. This is referring not to earthly wisdom, but this is divine wisdom. This is how he's going to reign. He's going to have divine... Imagine, he's going to have all wisdom for every situation. Sounds good, right? And he's going to execute justice and righteousness in the land. Isn't that what these people needed here? Isn't that what we need? Even as we look at, we look at, we don't have have kings, but we look at our leaders now, and just the frustration as you hear about. Oh, okay, there's, there's another one kind of falling by the wayside. They said they were going to do this. It was all great. The, the run up to the election, whatever, was wonderful. And I jumped on the train, and and, <laughs> and then once they, you know, gone flying, and then they threw me off the train, and I realised actually that there was nothing to it. He is going to execute justice and righteousness, not just for a period, for all time. He is going to do that which is right and he's going to deal justly this is the king that God has provided for us the Messiah in those days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely how many know that actually at this point this is, they needed to hear this because they certainly weren't dwelling securely they weren't, definitely didn't feel safe and this is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness the king on the throne at the time of the Babylonian captivity was Zedekiah. And his name, interestingly, meant the Lord is righteous. But he was far from that. Far from righteous. He worshipped other gods. He rebelled against God's judgment. God's, this, is the, this, is the, this is what God said to his people. He said, okay, this is the cho- you've got two choices, basically. You either fight against Babylon and you will die because they're my tool for judgment, or you hand yourself over to them, you surrender to them, and allow them to take you into captivity, and I will spare your life. Those were the choices. He refused, he wanted to go and fight, ended up having his eyes plucked out. It wasn't a good picture. So he rebelled against God. So the thing is, God's, God, Jesus doesn't only execute righteousness, so he's righteous, and all that he does is righteous. But actually, he imparts, he imputes righteousness to us. He gives us his righteousness, which has relevance for every single person in here, doesn't it? Because without his righteousness, as we think as we heard Pastor Rob mention earlier, you cannot stand before God, who is a holy God. We Here we can clearly see our desperate need for God's king, because we have no righteousness of our own. Without God's king, we can't enter God's kingdom. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know what? I don't really see the relevance of all this for, for me right now in my life. It's, you know, talking about some, we don't, I don't live under a king. There aren't, you know, the monarchies, whatever. These are people that, you know, lived a long time ago. Um, well, you're living in a world where everything is temporary and uncertain. Everything that you are trusting in currently outside of God's kingdom, in the long scheme of things, it actually is going to have no relevance. Bit of a sad thought, but it's true. 
The truth is that whatever we're so busy investing our lives in now is going to have no relevance. All that's going to be left is that which is eternal. Whoever you're following now or wanting to be like or hoping that one day you can impress, it's going to be gone. The status, the job or career or the education, these things are not only not going to bring you satisfaction on earth, (laughs) sad to tell you that in a complete sense, but actually in an eternal sense they're going to be of no value to you, no value to me. So really, what could be more relevant for us to understand that God has a kingdom and it's eternal and that there is a king who comes to save? Philippians 2, 5 to 11 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is the king that we're talking about, who, who I'm talking about submitting to, but emptied himself... By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and, fa- and being found in human form, he humbled himself. A king being humbled. It's like the two don't normally go, do they? Can you imagine Prince Charles even stepping out of his car to acknowledge you? He wouldn't do that. And yet here we have a king, the king of the universe, the king of all things, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. He was willing. He wasn't dragged to, to, to come and give his life. He willingly left his throne in heaven, stepped down, became a man, lived a perfect life and died a horrific death in order that you and me can have life. That's a king that I can follow. That's a king we can follow. That's a leader that we can submit to and surrender to gladly. Because I think the issue with our surrendering is, uh, it, most, for the most part, most people that we consider surrendering to, even those close to us, we realize that there's going to be an element of selfishness on their part and they're going to potentially take advantage of that position of power that they have over us. Not this king. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every, ana- every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Under the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We either submit and surrender now to Him, or we will one day. Every single person is going to bow the knee, no matter how much they shake their fists now and say they hate God. Richard Dawkins, all of them, they're going to, he's going to bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. But at that point, it's going to be too late for them. God at this point is crying out, saying, Return to me, come to me. Here's my King. Submit and surrender to him. He's given his life in order that you would have life. Jesus really is the very best king and absolutely worthy of complete surrender. Like I said before, we can trust this king. You can know know God and experience the blessing of, of being known by him. God's kingdom is now and not yet. As believers, we experience the blessing of living under his rule and yet we struggle, don't we, daily with, with our own sin. We see that it's, it's, it's not a perfect surrendering to God's will because we struggle. If we're already a part of God's kingdom, then let us really trust in his righteousness. Trust that he is our righteousness. He's the one who makes us right. So this morning you stand before God not based on what you've done or what you're thinking or what you haven't done, but actually only because of his righteousness. He's imputed, he's given, he's made you right with God. 
Trust in his protection. Trust. And it's important, particularly nowadays, isn't it? It's a scary time that we're living in. We can look at ISIS and all these things taking place. And yet God says, be anxious for nothing. Trust in me. Trust him to provide for you. Go to him as the one with divine wisdom for whatever you need. Live to please him. Praising him daily. This is so important, isn't it? We give praise and honor to God. Just this last week, I was, I was in, the last two weeks, in quite, quite a difficult place. Um, tried to get out of preaching. Thank God for Pastor Rob and F and they were like, basically, in a loving way, brothers, you're up in it. <laughs> it's, it's what it is. This is, this is what it is. And uh, I wasn't, that wasn't quite the answer I was expecting or, or, or wanting. But I actually became grateful for it because it, it drove me back to God's word. Drove me back to my knees. And, and, just, and simply, Lord, I, I've not even been thanking you. Lord, thank you that I can speak. Thank you that I can walk, that I can go to the park. Thank you, Lord, for friendship. Thank you for clothes. Thank you for those seemingly small things. I mean, thank you for sustaining my life. Thank you for your peace that I found again, Lord. Lost because I was off in my heart. Thank you for that. Thank you for my brothers holding me to account. Remember that wherever you go, you're his ambassador. So if you're at school you're, and you claim to be a Christian and he's your king, you're an ambassador for him. There's an expectation that you don't overlook the fact that he's your king. That means he cares about how you behave in class. He cares about how you relate to your teachers. He cares about how you relate to your friends, what kind of friend you are. He wants to give you wisdom to know how to operate in, in school. College, the same thing. Work, supermarket, wherever you are. How do you treat people when you're not around other Christians and it's only you and the Lord? What are the idols in your life, those things that you place above God? Social media or relationship, education, your stuff, or even serving. These things can become idols, can't they? What areas of your life are there that you know that you're in direct rebellion to God? So some things are kind of seemingly in our minds gray areas. Like, I'm not sure what the Bible says. Is that really sin? But there's some things that are very obviously sin, aren't they? Are you lying? Are you refusing to forgive somebody? Are you actively not making disciples? And we're commanded by our king to make disciples, aren't we? All of us, that relates to everyone, not just a select few. It's unforgiveness, unrighteousness, jealousy, lying. So you can take an opportunity in the quietness of your heart to ask God to forgive you, to, to offer these things, to repent of these things. Bring these before King Jesus. Remember that there are many things and people vying for our attention, including ourselves, to be king, but that Jesus is the very best king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your king, Jesus, that you sent. Thank you for your promise, Lord, that you are faithful to keep your promise always. Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of rebellion and sin, and Lord, when things look like they're they're over, Lord, that there's always hope because you have sent your king. There's always an opportunity for us to turn to him Lord, I pray for any here today, Lord, who are in rebellion against you, Lord. Any here who, who today, Lord, have a misconception of what kind of king you are. Lord, I pray that they would understand that you are the most wonderful king, that there's no greater. Lord, that you are the servant king, that you step down from heaven. 
You came to us. You didn't call us to yourself even, Lord, knowing that we couldn't get there. You were so far off from us. We're so imperfect. You came to us. And you have given us, as your people, Lord, you've given us your righteousness so that we can stand before God without a weight on our shoulders now. We can run boldly to the throne of God because of what you've done. Lord, would you help us to daily remember that you're our king and that means we're your subjects. We're subject to your will, to your leading. Lord, would you help me? Lord, so often it doesn't look like that in my life. Lord, it doesn't look like your king. It looks like I'm my own king. And Lord, I repent of that, Lord, and ask, Lord, that you really would help me to follow after you. We realize, Lord, that without your spirit, without your help, we can do no thing. And yet in Christ, we can do all things. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would have a deeper understanding of your love for us. And that we would serve you, that we would give you our lives. That we would worship you now in all areas of our life. Thank you, Lord, that you are the greatest king. Thank you for this wonderful gift. All other gifts we're going to get at Christmas time, none of them, none of them come can come close or can compare to this wonderful gift of an eternal kingdom and a loving, eternal, wonderful, glorious king. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time. For more of God's truth to transform your reality.